0: Welcome to the Mother Love Podcast. This is Claire Larson, your host, and this project was made possible because of the support of Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies, the Montana Coalition. This is a space where guests open their hearts, gather their courage, and tell the truth about what it means to care for these messy and delightful little ones in today's big, wide, and often overwhelming world. We talk about the pressures, the steep learning curves, and the bittersweet reality of watching our children grow. Parenting asks us to be willing to feel it all. Celebration and grief, joy and anguish, fear and bravery. So take a breath, let these stories wash over you, and show yourself a little love. Okay. We're here with another episode. First, I want to say hello and thank you to our listeners for being here. I'm always so grateful that you take the time to join us for a dose of wisdom and healing and validation. And as always, we have an amazing guest today, and I'd like to take a moment to introduce her. Christina is with us today to share her story, which touches on the many pieces of what it means to become a mom. What it's like to go through a complete identity shift and to move through the grief and joy of that at the same time. There are so many important parts of Christina's story that I don't want to attempt to list them all, but I'll name a few. Christina and her husband navigated the long and difficult path of infertility challenges, a beautiful pregnancy and birth, and then a very treacherous first few months that overwhelmed Christina with anxiety. She's here to speak hope into the lives of those who've gone through or are going through their own struggles, and to promise that healing and resilience are possible. Christina lives in Whitefish, Montana with her husband and their now three-year-old twins and their beloved dog of 10 years, Riggs. Welcome, Christina. I'm so happy to have you here.
1: Thanks so much for asking me to be on, Claire. Yeah. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. We're excited. We've gotten to talk a little bit before recording, and I'm just, as always, I'm just so excited to talk to you about all the things. So let's just start with, like, how's your morning going? How was life at your house today? Uh,
1: (laughs) Relatively speaking, it was great. We had a really peaceful morning getting off to school daycare. Are those rare? Yes. Usually a lot of fighting and screaming and... (laughs) A lot of work. This, this yeah. morning was pretty peaceful and nice, and it's really gorgeous weather. So it was. A really yeah.
0: Night. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad. Yay! That's yeah. such a win when that happens.
1: We'll Whenever
0: that happens, I'm just always like, "What? Why did I deserve that? Like, what did I should I buy a lottery ticket today? Like, how, <laughs> yeah. did, how did that happen? It's weird to start my workday without the crazy stress and intensity of that. So, yeah. So, yeah. Good. Then are you maybe you can talk a little bit about your daily job and your daily life, just so listeners have kind of a glimpse into what that looks like for you.
1: Sure. I work at the hospital. I'm a clinical laboratory scientist and I'm in sort of a supervisory role now. So for those of you that don't know what that is, clinical lab science is we run your clinical testing So I can do like maybe 50% of my procedure writing and research and literature reading at home on my own time. And then I can go to the hospital for like two to three days a week.
0: Mm -hmm. That's awesome.
1: So yeah, great work life balance that I have right now that I'm so thankful for.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That seems like the kind of work where it's like a little bit different every day. I know my kids, like when people would ask them, like, what does your mom do? They'd be like, I
1: don't know. <laughs> like,
0: do you talk to your kids about your work? And like, do they think like, oh, it's cool that my mom's a scientist?
1: Not yet. I think they're a really little young, yeah. but I have taken them there and they love all the buttons oh, cool. and lights. And... I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. But they just know that I work at the, at the hospital.
0: Yes. The hospital. Oh, so sweet. I miss when my kids mispronounced words like that. I I, still, there are still a couple that they do and I feel really bad because I should teach them the right way to say it, but I like, don't want
1: to let go. I I catch myself like wanting to correct them. And then I don't because I want it to last a long time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was with a mom one time who would like she always correct her kids and like sound it out, be like, no, it's hospital. And I was like, oh, that's probably the responsible thing to do, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> like I just let them grow up saying everything wrong. Who knows? <laughs> it's <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. And then I know so you live in Whitefish and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but you have family around and that's been really helpful and maybe you can just talk a little bit about your guys's home and what that looks and feels like right now.
1: Yeah, we moved back. The kids were born in January of 2020 and the pandemic really got started in March, April. So we were in Portland, pretty isolated. You know, the th- the help that we thought we might have coming from friends really wasn't there either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was just a pretty easy decision to move back to Whitefish. And yeah. I had a job lined up. So that was, that made it even more easy. And it just seemed seamless and the thing to do, the right decision. Yeah. And so we're back here, very fortunate, living in my, renting at my parents' house. And it's a really big, great house to raise kids in. I just feel yeah. so fortunate.
0: That's um, awesome.
1: Yeah, but we have everybody here. Yeah. That's why we came back for the help, but for me, mostly the, to be around family you know and have mm-hmm. my kids grow up around their grandparents and their aunts and uncles and yeah yeah Ryan's yeah. parents are here my parents my mom's here dad comes in and out mm-hmm. so they've got you know four grandparents around a lot and my yeah. sister's here with her kids and yeah got cousins and I mean that's the kind of that's what I wanted for my yeah. child kids childhood so
0: yeah It's interesting. I feel like I did not, I'm one of those people who did not realize the value of that until, (laughs) until I was in it. And we lived in Missoula and even just that two and a half hours to like get some relief when the kids were really small was like too far. And it's been, you know, and then we moved to Helena. So it's been like a three and a half hour drive to get to Kalispell. And I just remember so many times where I would show up and the kids were really little and I'd be so depleted and exhausted and I would hand them to my mom and then just be like, Peace. <laughs> like go to sleep mm-hmm. for like yeah. three hours and wake up and feel like I hadn't felt in a long time, you know, and it's yeah. just so it's just so valuable to have that help.
1: Yeah, honestly, I didn't think about it either before kids and I didn't think we would want to be moving. And I mean, the pandemic really pushed us out, but I think if it hadn't been for that, we still would have migrated here. Come back.
0: Yeah, cool. And then so let's rewind a little bit, because we just mentioned Portland, I think that one of the things that when we talked before, is something that's really uh, common, but sort of, we don't always talk about this intense transition, and how that feels between pre mom life, and then current mom life, you know, and I think that I think that in your case, Christina, like I was really thinking about the experiences that you had kind of with your schooling and with your, you know, heart being both an art oriented heart and a science oriented heart and just the, um, like kind of the freedom that you had to explore all of that. And then all of a sudden when you become a mom, it's like boom, bam. (laughs) Like now all of your focus for a while has to like, you kind of have to ditch those passions and interests and just pour yourself into raising these little ones. And, um, and so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that. Like maybe you could talk about um, your, there are some adventures that you had like post high school that I think really speak to how broad your world was and then how much that changed and maybe was disorienting once you had the twins. (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk let's first talk about like you know you went to school at U of M to begin with right yeah Christina went on to tell me about just that her pre-mom life and how vastly different her world was than the world she would enter into as she approached and entered motherhood she graduated from high school in Whitefish and then right away what she feels now was too early she went to attend the University of Montana in Missoula Unsure about what exactly she wanted to pursue in her education and career, she did what many of us do. She dabbled and explored her options. She thought about pre-med because she's always loved science, but ultimately didn't feel ready or sure enough to make that huge commitment. Then there was art. She had watched her mom paint and create from the time she was little and had inherited that same passion and love for painting and drawing. So many art classes later, Christina earned her bachelor's of fine arts in drawing and painting from U of M. She launched out of her college career with the energy and enthusiasm that belongs mostly to the young and driven. What happened next is where things get really interesting and it brings to light Christina's free spirited, go with the flow, spontaneous approach to life and learning.
1: Oh yeah. I'll hop on a train. (laughs) (laughs) With my bags, knowing nobody, having no job, having no place to live. And I'll go to New York City, right?
0: Yeah, of course. Just like the movies. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Get off the train and I will become a famous artist, you know, just, just like, right like that, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds simple so. enough.
1: <laughs> but yeah, that's what I did. And I landed like at night time in New York City. <laughs> I had an acquaintance and she's a really good friend now, um, but she let me stay with her for two weeks in uh, Harlem trying to figure out what I was going to do. <laughs> yeah. what has happened. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the beginning of my New York chapter and it was really a great two years, um, really, really difficult two years, but I wouldn't take it back for anything. hmm but, you know, it was a struggle, and I waited tables, and, you know, I got immersed in the art world a little bit, but not as much as I thought I would. I was just, it was just such a struggle. It was so tiring and such a big change, and one that, now that I know myself a little bit better, I was not suited for a big city yeah. like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I actually ended up living with this friend that welcomed me in um, the last year I was there.
0: hmm
1: And... Yeah, I mean, I was modeling, doing a lot of art modeling for classes. Oh, that's
0: right, at yeah. School
1: of Visual Arts, Columbia. So that way I was able to, you know, get a taste and be in class without actually being in class and sort of make connections there. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, it was time after two years I had gotten my fill and experience and uh, came back to Whitefish.
0: Yeah, okay. And so at this point in your story, in terms of, like, you've been, you know, you've been schooling and learning and working towards moving into your official career. And we talked about how you, you know, you fell in love, got engaged, got married, and didn't ever have the conversation about whether or not (laughs) you wanted to have kids together. (laughs) And I I actually think like that seems kind of uh, obvious or whatever, but I think a lot of people just assume that their partner will want to have a family and don't talk about it. Like, I think that happens more often than we think, you know? So do you mind speaking to that a little bit about like, what were those first conversations like?
1: Not at all. I just think it was a very scary proposition that Ryan Ryan had not thought a lot about. Maybe, Mm -hmm. or maybe he had, but we hadn't talked about it. Mm hmm. So I feel like for a long time, it was me pushing the issue, probably because I, you know, as a female, you start to feel like right. you're running out of time or whatever, Yeah. even mm-hmm. though I was only 30 mm-hmm. and I had no idea that we were going to have struggles. Yeah. Um, so I just feel like it was kind of sad for me in the beginning, you know, not yeah. being on the same page, but I also understood like he was working at a pizza shop. And I mean, he still is 43 years old. He's still a kid right now. Yeah. And just to think about like raising kids and it was just overwhelming for him. And I'm not honestly quite sure how much thought he's ever had ever put into it. Yeah. So it was just like, I think a lot for him to wrap his mind around and get used to the thought, the idea.
0: Right. Right. Um, And then, and then you guys found that you weren't having success with becoming pregnant and so then you know i think that's hard enough on couples when they both really really want to start down this road and i'm sure that there was some i mean you've told me that there was just some loneliness in that in those first initial parts of going through that that monthly roller coaster of emotions and maybe you can talk about that a little bit
1: yeah definitely i just didn't feel like i had anybody to talk to about Mm -hmm. it or anybody that understood or i feel like even if he was exactly where i was at he still couldn't wouldn't have been able to understand right you know the oh my god i possibly can't have kids and yeah or wait we're not there yet sorry no we're there having kids
0: yeah, no, I mean, we're there. We're there. You're like, you know, I mean, we, this, we're talking about like the early pieces of it, but then there is a point at which you feel like you need to maybe bring some outside help on board. So we could talk about, you know, getting to that part and, and what kind of were the deciding factors of like, okay, I don't want to just try to do this on our own anymore let's go and see someone. And I know you experienced both really quality care and not so great care. And that's something I want to talk about today too. So maybe let's just start with when you initially decided to sort of recognize this as like, this might just be more than your your average, we're having a hard time getting pregnant.
1: Yeah. I think I realized it pretty early
0: mm-hmm.
1: after we started trying, you know, not super rigorously. Um but I like six or eight months in, things weren't happening. And I had never really paid attention to my cycles in my 20s, even yeah. late 20s. You know, I never right. really took care of myself. I'm the
0: same. Way. I like still don't. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, I'm still like, why am I so sad suddenly? <laughs> like, For 40. And I'm like, come on. Yeah. I know, so I, I, I get it.
1: I that like document it all on the calendar. And the totally. Exact- they have an app.
0: I strive to be like that, but it's getting a little late in the game
1: to like do that
0: now. But anyways, yeah. so so yes, you hadn't, you, you yeah. weren't like a tracker,
1: definitely not, I and mean, yeah. hardly paid attention. But I knew enough to know that things were not normal. Like I never really had a period, and if I did, yeah. it was really light, mm-hmm. I'm really inconsistent. Were but you was, on I, any type of birth control? Not, no, not really. Mm-hmm. Like in my early twenties, I was on birth control pills for maybe a couple of years yeah, at the most.
0: Yeah. Just because I can, years. you know, that can make your period go totally MIA. And so I was I'm curious about that.
1: No, I never felt anything like never felt any difference. Yeah. Like emotionally, I didn't really, the pills, I felt like they didn't affect me. So, but maybe mm-hmm. that could have been a factor. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I pretty much knew that there was going to be, it, it was not going to be easy, but yeah. I really had no idea what we were going to get into. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So I, you know, I was being proactive about it. And I also just thought this is a waste of time for us both to be at the appointments and he's got stuff going on. I don't know. I just didn't want to bother him, but you know, it culminated into a long time in the beginning of me feeling like I was going to appointments alone. Yeah. So that was hard. Yeah. So the first clinic we went was covered by my insurance. Mm I, I, Fortunately, had fifteen thousand dollars covered, and mm-hmm. this was a clinic. Yeah, um, my first choice that we actually ended up with, or ORM, was not mm-hmm. covered. So, mm-hmm. so that's why we started with her, and it was a two-year ordeal. And I'll just—I won't go into a whole lot of it, but fertility treatments yeah. we just start with the lowest, you know, easiest route, see if that works, and then you just kind of beef up your protocols. Yeah. So we were on, you know, Clomid and Letrozole and. Did all these things over mm-hmm. the first two years there with no success. Yeah.
0: yeah. Two years is so long to be going <laughs> through that. I know like I had to pause the first time we talked about this too, just because just to acknowledge like that is that's so long to be going through that.
1: Well, that was at the first clinic too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: And And during that time, I know like we just were talking about your work before and I thought it was interesting that one of these things, it's like I asked you, you know, what did help during that time? What did help and was like a little bit comforting or a little bit validating? And I remember you saying like that work was actually kind of a relief for you because you got to show up and keep your head down and do your thing and not really have to like, talk to that many people or put on like a shiny, happy face, you know, and that you would tune into podcasts and found some support groups. So maybe just in case there's anyone listening who is just like, feels like super isolated and in that dark alone place, you could share some of those pieces that you found helpful.
1: Sure. Yeah. I really didn't start to struggle until we, you know, passed the Clomid, passed the Letrozole and then started, we did an IUI, a couple of IUIs, I think. Which, like, that starts getting intense. Yeah. So when I started getting into that and those weren't working is when I really started to um, spiral. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, yeah, the work was just a blessing. It was so awesome to be able to go. That's when I was just a bench tech. And, you know, you can chat with people and be as extroverted as you want. But you can also just head down, run the tests, put your headphones on, your earbuds in, and just go. Mm -hmm. I yeah don't talk to anybody so that's what I did I found podcasts that were so helpful just listen yeah. to those all the time doing my work um, yeah just made me feel so much less alone totally and yeah just to hear people's stories whether they were successful or not successful and
0: yeah yeah just to helpful. know that humans do get through this either way right
1: you know, I think people people probably told me, go find some other people that are struggling and have coffee. And I just did not feel like doing any of that.
0: Mm-mm, I, get I don't that. know
1: that I was necessarily depressed, I'm sure a little bit, but I just was exhausted. Yeah. Emotionally.
0: Totally. That makes sense. And anything above, like that's kind of a mode of survival mode. You know, it's like anything above and beyond daily tasks when you're in something so intense just feels like way too much. Mm-hmm. I've been there for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then physically you must've just been so tired too.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of appointments. <laughs> yeah. And this clinic totally. was not, a, it was like an hour away. So I was yeah. going to those, you know, a couple of times a week and yeah. Yeah. It's a full-time thing trying to do that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so can we talk, can you compare a little bit about when you did, when you guys did decide to shift to a different clinic Like what were some of the things that you didn't realize were missing from your care until you started receiving them? Um, Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. She, um, she just was right off the bat. We didn't have a connection. We just didn't connect on a fundamental level, but we tried to make it work. Mm -hmm. Um, She just was not a good listener and we had, you know, thoughts and suggestions, ideas, and it was just sort of, I mean, I get it. It's her job. She does probably thousands of infertility cases, but she just wanted to run us through the... Yeah. That coupled with um, we didn't ever have success. Right. So, yeah, we moved. As soon as the money ran out really quickly, we were out of pocket. So it didn't matter where we were going. So we moved quickly to ORM for our... So we did two IVF cycles at that first clinic. And for our third, and I said to Ryan, I'm not doing this again. (laughs) This is it. Last stuff, we moved to ORM. Our initial appointment was incredible right off the bat. Yeah. This doctor was just incredible who we went through IVF with. And she just made a lot of sense. We just connected. Um, She put me on a different protocol. And just everything from the beginning to end was so much easier. Yeah. We just got such higher quality.
0: Yeah.
1: Eggs, embryos, Mm -hmm. and oh still,
0: wow so even that so it wasn't just like the bedside demeanor no, and connection when it we was were there like we they thought of that, like, that
1: but yeah and this doctor at this first clinic had all had worked at where the second clinic was
0: yeah yes
1: and yeah I don't know <laughs> gotcha. how much I can yeah. <laughs>
0: no that's probably a good that's a good call we try not to call yeah. out specific yeah
1: and yeah. there weren't a lot of positive things said about this first right. physician Yeah. So that, I mean, there was just a lot of confirmation for sure. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Because in that, I imagine that like, you really need to have the provider be like rooting for you, even if things aren't going well, you know, like if the provider, if it would feel like they kind of gave up before you did or something, you know, but we're just like letting you keep trying that, that would feel really awful. I -hmm. would think.
1: Yeah. No, she knew my whole history, and yeah. she walked. We walked in there, and she said, "This is going to be. This is we're going to. This is." She was so positive, you know. Yeah. Be a great experience, and we're going to have success. And
0: that's awesome. Just
1: start. Let's just go. Yeah. That's was, so yeah. cool. Yay.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you guys found her. Okay, so then tell me about the phone call that you received
1: <laughs> yeah. that
0: changed all the things.
1: So this was our third implant. So I received two phone calls prior to this that, you know, it didn't work. I'm not going to (laughs) cry.
0: No, I mean, I think this is one of the most moving pieces because,
1: yeah, because of
0: those two phone calls, you know, I won't forget, I think one of the most significant things you said before when we spoke that just like hit me was you said, by the time you got that third phone call, you had a really thick armor on. Oh and yeah! I think that that is those words like this is what we're talking about right like ha- saying it in that way is something that I'm sure every mom who's ever been through this can relate to like the accumulation of that armor until it is just like you have you have had to learn how to protect yourself and anticipate a letdown and all of that and so you spoke yeah. to having that that day yeah
1: yeah I was so Beaten down. That's not what I'm thinking yeah. of, but
0: defeated, that, kind of, yeah.
1: Defeated, exactly, yeah. That yeah. I told this woman, I said, we, I think we had four embryos. I was like, just put them all in because this is not going to work. So I was yeah. so thankful that she was, you know, some doctors probably have done that. Yeah, but she was like, no, I'm not. Put I'm, two is my limit, and yeah. so that's what she <laughs> did. <laughs> and <laughs> I, yeah, we received a phone call and. Yeah, I know exactly where we were sitting. We were sitting together. It was yeah. pretty cool. You know, I used to say that I had armor on, which I definitely did, but I also kind of felt like like this could this could have been the one, you know, before she called, that worked.
0: Yeah. So, cool. Yeah,
1: like it was. some
0: intuition um, stuff, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the beta was super high, so then it was like an oh, shit moment. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I knew right off the bat, since the beta was so high, that it was probably twins.
0: Mm-hmm. So I and, had Ryan, to, and Ryan didn't. Did no, you say that Ryan didn't know? No. And did you say so, anything?
1: No. He was <laughs> 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 like an no, own oh shit moment with just a positive
0: call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, funny. But um, yeah,
1: yeah. So I had time to process the pro- the fact that it probably could be twins. But he was definitely surprised at that first nine week ultrasound when the camera you know rolled over to the other side and oh look there's a second one. <laughs>
0: Yeah. What did he say? Like, I love slowing down to that moment. And like, what, like, tell me about the look on his face. And he was just dead quiet. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Like, okay. Cause I mean, that's like a defining moment, right? Like you're, you're realizing like your whole life is going to be so different, double different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah Yeah. and I know I feel like you don't know what twins is going to be like but in that moment I think we both knew that we had our work cut out for us for sure it's not was not going to be easy yeah but at the same time we were so I was so excited I know he was but he was in a process he was in shock Yeah. (laughs)
0: yeah 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 nice and then this is I mean this is I love this next part of your story. So talk about your pregnancy. You know, I know there, I know there were some, um, like technical sort of medical supports you had to have in the beginning, but overall, you know, just tell us how pregnancy went for you.
1: Yeah. Um, it was super easy. It was an awesome, beautiful pregnancy. Um, yeah when you do IVF, you still have to continue with the shots and it's not fair because you think you've gone through the gauntlet, but then once you get pregnant, you have to take progesterone shots and the needle is like four times bigger than anything you've ever <sighs> previously stuck yourself. Why? Why does it have to be such a big needle? I think it's just such a big dose. I don't know. Yeah. And Dang. That, Like it was all in the stomach before. I don't know if anybody yeah. wants to stuff, but then you had no.
0: Like, I mean, this is what we talk about here. Yeah
1: with this giant horse needle so anyway i had to do that for 12 weeks but um i'm good with needles and it was no no big deal for me
0: yeah how often did you have to do that the progesterone yeah give yourself shots like a giant day yeah
1: i think it was it was at least once a day and not morning and night
0: whoa oh my goodness yeah (laughs) crazy yeah and then i'm curious too like in terms of your insurance did like were you guys having to pay out of pocket for all of that too
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah wow i have thirty-five
1: thousand yeah. dollars in debt right now
0: yeah dang <laughs> yeah but worth it definitely yeah yeah I mean, that's just like a pretty private and technical piece. But these are just all things that I I don't know about. So I'm curious. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. And then uh, pregnancy was awesome. The rest of it, you felt great. Yeah. I remember you saying that it was really fun to be pregnant in Portland, where everything is already so green and lush and fertile.
1: Yeah, um, it was great. Lots of good yeah. food and restaurants. and. Yeah. Yeah, it was just and a beautiful it, time. Yeah.
0: It must have just felt so good to you to like, yeah, I mean, this is, this is where like later we'll talk about like the double edged sword of wanting to be pregnant so badly and wanting to have babies so badly. And just this piece is like, you just got to finally settle in and enjoy what that was like. And mm-hmm. I'm sure people were complimenting you left and right. Like people do usually when you're pregnant and it just must have felt so yeah, good.
1: Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. 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 So yeah, there's a lot of monitoring, especially with the twin pregnancy, but everything was just awesome the whole time. The 20 so week great. ultrasound was amazing. and.
0: Mm-hmm. But then you got really close to labor and things got a little tricky. Will you talk about that?
1: Yeah. But I mean, that even wasn't that big of a deal. I made it to 36 weeks and six days and mm-hmm. everything still was perfect. Up until yeah. two days to so three days before that when my blood pressure spiked.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, they just got me in right away for a C section. So yeah, I haven't mentioned my OBGYN during this whole time it was just oh, an yeah. incredible woman. Yeah. To go through this with. Yeah. She was incredible. So but her most incredible, like she she delivered my babies and it was just I can't even I don't even have the words for how amazing she is and was and yeah. So yeah, she got me in and she wasn't scheduled for my c-section so it was kind of sad but got that scheduled was gonna head in we actually headed in early because my blood pressure was so high stayed mm-hmm. the night in the hospital for monitoring and the next morning was my c-section and i had been talking to my ob-gyn about the birth quite a bit and she said you know we can try for a vaginal birth but baby a was always down she never moved I was like always kind of worried about her because I couldn't feel her and baby, yeah. baby was on top. And he was just like an acrobat my entire pregnancy, <laughs> just rolling every, every ultrasound. He was in a different position and he was a lot bigger too. So she said we can try for a vaginal birth, which I think a lot of doctors probably wouldn't even have given me the option. But um, if you're okay with like emergencies and blood and, stuff we can try it because you know once baby eight comes out baby if baby B's breach and bigger he's going to get stuck and we're going to have to go into emergency c sec- emergency c-section and so i was like yeah that's i let's try it like that's what i want to do yeah um but when my blood pressure spiked we, it was just on the books do a c-section get him out quick yeah so that morning um my c-section was you know in an hour or something and they were like shaving me and getting me ready and they did this ultrasound and he was head down And my doctor wasn't on call, but somehow she happened to be on call that morning. Or maybe she wasn't on call the night before, but in the morning she was. So anyway, she was there. She was going to do everything. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They called her and said, can we try, can we switch, not do a C-section? And she didn't pick up. She was on her way in. So she walked into my room and I talked to her about it. And she was like, yeah, let's try it. Let's go. He's head down. Let's do it. So they put a band around me, started me on Pitocin and off we went. And it was just like a waiting game of seeing if he was going to stay still. Yeah. So all day long, I labored. And we, they had this tight band around him, just telling him yeah. to fall still. Yeah. So, and then that, by that night, when I was dilated, he was still head down. So they took me to OR and we just proceeded like usual. Like there was still, you know, possibility of going into emergency C section, but it was incredible.
0: That's yeah, we were all in the OR. And
1: I love that I think everybody in the OR was a woman. <laughs> Except for my Mm -hmm. husband. Yeah, I remember you saying that. That's so cool. But yeah, yeah, so she came out, and then my doctor was so incredible that she grabbed baby B inside and held him so he would not flip once all that room, you know, once she came out, there was all that room in there. And she guided him down so that I could have the birth that I wanted. And then he came out nine minutes later yeah, everybody was crying That's so amazing and said that was like one of the most you know beautiful birds they'd ever seen. That's totally watch and...
0: That's so incredible.
1: I don't think a lot of doctors would have taken that risk right.
0: Or... Isn't that amazing? Like I feel like it's so it's sad that it's so rare to find a provider who like realizes the significance of that moment in time. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, you know, just you had been through so much, she knew that, and she took everything into account, not just like policy or like sticking to like really rigid you know hospital policies, which I know exist for a reason, but like I feel like if there was any time to like make an exception, you guys had just been through so much, and to have to be able to have the birth that you wanted just is just so important,
1: mhm, yeah she yeah she was an incredible doctor
0: yeah that's so great and for you to not have had any like control over so much of this journey right like so much of it was out of your hands and out of your control but like this was a moment where you knew what you wanted and like although you didn't have total control you had someone who was going to do like everything they possibly could to like make that come true Mm -hmm. and that is I love that part of your guys' story so much. Like, mm-hmm. It's just so wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just hope she knows to this day how incredible she is.
0: Yeah. Let's send her this episode so she can hear it.
1: <laughs> okay. And then, you know, I,
0: I know what it's like to have a baby and be in the hospital for a couple days and then have them send you out into the world. Um yeah. what's what's that like with twins? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was hard. Yeah, yeah, it was really hard. We were in the hospital for four days and we just wanted to be home, but, you know, yeah. a lot of monitoring and I think blood sugar was low and she was not fitting in her car seat or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I thought my birth story, I mean, the OR and that delivering was amazing, um, but I was hoping to be at home, like in a cocoon rather than in a hospital for four days with people yeah. walking in and out, you know,
0: totally not a lot yes. of privacy.
1: So yeah. we were pretty anxious to get home. Yeah. But yeah, there was lactation nurses that would sort of help me through what to do, but I didn't get a whole lot of training in that regard. And yeah. so, yeah, after four days, we were just sort of kicked out mm-hmm. with a little bit of guidance. But yeah, so it was January 17th in Portland and it was so cold and dark. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it makes it. me cold just like you saying that because I've been in Portland that time of year and it's like bone chillingly so cold, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but yeah, we got to my dark, cold house and we walked in with these two babies and I just peed all over the floor. Nobody even told me that I wasn't gonna be able to hold my bladder <laughs> Yeah, and I was just like,
0: Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. The collision, that for those first collisions of fantasy versus reality, right? Yeah. Of like, you know, I remember feeling that same way at that same moment of walking home and I had had a C-section. And I remember like we got home and I was like so excited to see our dogs and they all like tried to jump up on me. And it was like all of a sudden super dangerous for yeah. that to happen. And I was like stressed and not doing well and... I was like, this isn't at all the moment I wanted what I didn't think it would be like this difficult or scary to get home. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I felt really actually really scared. Like I would have stayed at the hospital for like two weeks, I think, because I was Mm -hmm. just like really afraid for them to be like, okay, now it's up to you. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah. yeah, And
1: I mean, we were excited to get out of the hospital. But once we got home, we kind of felt the same way. Like we're. (laughs) Where are they bring bringing the troops? Where's the help? Where?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I want someone to be checking on me and like feeding me and mm-hmm. know that know that if like if anything really scary happens, like people know how to rescue me or baby or mm-hmm. whoever needs it. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um. But yeah, yeah. So then I know that like um, the next you know bit of time was really hard for obvious reasons and for reasons that are unique to you guys. Um, yeah. you know, so having a new baby, obviously not much sleep, All you know, trying to heal from birth, all the things, but I know you had some specific challenges. So do you want to talk about those?
1: Yeah. Sure. Um, I feel like a lot of it was challenges with myself and frustration that I hadn't prepared better kind of, angry at myself and angry at, I don't know who the world or people that I knew that nobody (laughs) told me what this was going to be like or, but then like my parents were there with all the support, you know, I needed, um, as far as, you know, food, or if I needed to them to go run out and grab anything or any kind of help that I wanted. Um, my dad was busy building, finishing like an ADU in the backyard which ended up being incredible, a place for one of us to go sleep, you know, over the next few months.
0: Yeah. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. But I just still felt like, like even my mom was telling, like urging me to hire a doula or a night nurse. And I was just like, I didn't think it was important or I don't even know why I didn't listen to her.
0: Well, (laughs) if you're anything like me, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to need help. Yeah, I wanted just like everything else in my life up until becoming a mom, I wanted to be like, I got this. I'll figure it out. Like everybody back off, like, I'm the mom, I should be able to figure it out every other mom ever, ever in the history of the world has, or (laughs) else there wouldn't be people who are alive, you know, and, and I was really stubborn that way. And I wish that I would have known to be more humble and accept help. But
1: yeah, I wasn't there. Yeah. But, yeah, I thought it was just going to be easier or natural or, you know, maybe a few hard moments, but we would get through it. Um, It would have made all the difference in the world to have a night nurse for that first two or three weeks. Yep. For me, yeah, we just, there was no, I just hadn't prepared, Ryan hadn't prepared, especially for two. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, thank God my mom had stopped at the milk bank. So we had like, I think a week's worth of donor milk. Mm-hmm. Well, I tried to figure out breastfeeding, Yeah, but it was just sort of like, once we had the donor milk, that's what they were drinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were just, I'm trying to think of back to those days. It was insane. Two babies yeah. <laughs> crying on and off, you know?
0: Yeah. Or on and on. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> right. And on and yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Right, and, and I, I kn- to figure it out and... Schedule, yeah, and when to feed them. I was like, I, I can't, I think I remember, like, I don't even know what to feed a baby, like, is what went through my mind in those moments mm-hmm. sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, they do, it's breast milk, it's just breast milk, they don't, <laughs> right? I just felt so out in left field or just out in the desert. Yeah. I don't know, I was just right, so lost, yeah.
0: And then the breastfeeding challenges are so tricky because. It's not only like an actual challenge, like logistically with with double schedules and trying to like figure out how to get on a schedule and how to get everybody the sleep they need and all those things. But then like mentally and emotionally as a mom, when that's not going well, the sort of like guilt and shame that starts to creep in. Mm -hmm. Like for me, especially there was just like this sense of failure and like inadequacy that came and it messed with just my overall, you know, it made me insecure. and My confidence took a real hit with that not going well. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I was like, now I'm like, not only did I really want this, but now I'm like, not my babies aren't getting enough, you know, my baby wasn't getting enough milk. And like, I didn't know what to do about that. And my breasts, my nipples were a mess, like a war zone. And I was in so much pain and like all those things. And I just was like, man, if I can't figure this out, like, this is like, number one thing to figure out Mm
1: -hmm. is like
0: how to breastfeed my kids. If Mm -hmm. I can't figure that out, then like, what's the next, you know, 20 years going to look like. Um, so I know you talked about that too. And, and that in addition to this feeling and this sense of like, I've wanted this for so long. Why is it so hard? Why am I not enjoying this? You know, maybe talk about that a little.
1: Yeah, that was kind of a trip. Trying to move through that, like be kinder to myself. And I mean, now I totally feel like I can say, um, this is a really hard day. But I, and that's okay. Like just because I wanted these babies and I had IVF and like I, but yeah, those days I was like, we were like, we did this to ourselves. Like we implanted embryos. Why we can't complain? We can't be frustrated. We can't. (laughs) So that was like, yeah, that was a thing for sure in the beginning, and like for a while. Yeah. When yeah, whenever it was hard, it's like there was a little bit of like you can't complain like you wanted these babies nobody was saying that to me
0: no I know it's just (laughs) that it's just what we do yeah
1: I know totally yeah well and it feels like
0: there's got to be someone to blame so why not ourselves you know like there's got to be yeah someone at fault here (laughs)
1: Right.
0: Uh, yeah and then unfortunately you went in to get some help you like sought help for you know consulting for lactation and stuff and that was not great. What happened there? Can you talk yeah. about that?
1: Yeah, it wasn't great. I mean, it was fine, but it was definitely not geared towards twins. Yeah, I, I'm just remembering like even trying to get them out of the house to those appointments was so difficult. Yeah. Anywhere, you know, any of those appointments. It's just a lot after like not sleeping all night, thinking that totally. that's the way the life is going to be forever. That's the hardest part. Yeah. You don't realize yes. it, this is only going to be for like six, eight months. Yes. Or not yes. even that long. Like we got into the hang of it, like after three months. But those first few days and weeks are like <laughs> brutal, right? But yeah, yeah so the location... I remember thinking,
0: like, what have we done? Like, <laughs> what have what have I done? I'm not the the words. I'm not cut out to be a mom. Would just like cycle through my mind over mm-hmm. and over again. Yeah, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's just so much.
1: I feel like I didn't have that running through my head. I felt mm-hmm. like I still could be a good mom, but I was just so resentful that there wasn't like more help yeah. or people, like, just people didn't talk about how hard it was or that I wasn't mm-hmm. aware before prior hand to do more research and to get more prepared. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I it's
0: kind of like there's this, I think there's still this like theory that like the magic of motherhood will carry you through. Mm-hmm. And I've heard conversations where it's like, well, should we tell moms how hard it is? Or will it scare them too much? Mm-hmm. Like, will you know, and I mean, it's probably no surprise that I'm like, no, tell them. <laughs> like, they're mm-hmm. going to be scared, more scared when they end up on the other side of this and think yeah. that something is fundamentally wrong with them, you know? And so yeah. I think that that's something that's still, that's like a paradigm shift that still needs to happen where we're like, we're almost told, like, don't learn too much, or you might get really freaked out about what could happen. I don't know. I see that. I can understand that. But I don't know. I think there's got to be at least... I mean, I feel like if people would have told me how hard it was going to be, and I've thought this before, like, I would probably have said to them and to myself, just like I did about, like, the possibility of a C-section, like, yeah, but that's not going to happen to me. Like, Mm -hmm. I would have done that but there would have at least been like a seed planted of like, but it could happen. And because someone talked to me about it, that means it does happen. And it's not just me not living up to this, like magazine quality standard of what it looks like to be a new mom, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you went to a doctor who really kind of put an end to your breastfeeding hopes and dreams. Yeah. I, was- I remember you saying, and then that, that really led to some hard.
1: Yeah. That times. was a very pivotal moment in my life for sure. Yeah. I think a week or two in you go and weigh your babies with a pediatrician mm-hmm. and yeah, he just really flippantly just said, you got to put your babies on formula because they're not gaining weight. Like they need to be. So for one, that freaked me out and made me feel like a failure (laughs) or just like, I got to do something quick. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, totally. Like no, there was no discussion, no option, nothing. So I mean, I ran right out and did a lot of research on formula first, (laughs) but yeah, just put them on formula. But again, like just so ignorantly thinking, you know, just give them a couple, just give them a bottle a day or whatever they need now. And we'll still work on breastfeeding, you know, what we're going to get the hang of it, just keep practicing. But as soon as they started taking bottles, you know, even from the donor milk and then the formula and then like I had no idea, but breastfeeding was just slipping away from me. But at the time I had no idea. I kept like, oh, we're just this is going to work out. We're just going to keep practicing. (laughs) Yeah, like three months in, I just all of a sudden it hit me they're not ever gonna learn how to breastfeed. So for that whole three months I I still was like, we just gotta keep practicing, keep latching, you know, all the while they're eating and drinking, you know. I started pumping at this point. I was pretty much yeah. pumping the whole time, but you know, half yeah. pumping, half formula is what we were pretty right. much doing. Yeah. And yeah, at that three month mark I was like, there's there's no I don't know if somebody told me that or I just realized it on my own, but it was like this yeah. moment where like my world came crashing down. Yeah. And I also didn't realize how badly I wanted to breastfeed. Yeah. Or I just thought it would just, that's just how the way it's going to go. I'm just going to breastfeed. Yeah.
0: You know? Totally. Yeah.
1: So that led to some pretty intense emotions. And that's when I really, a postpartum depression, I guess, is what really set in. But I think it was more than that. It was like a, Like I couldn't, like one day I couldn't even take a shower because I didn't know what clothes to pick out. I was just paralyzed. I couldn't take care of the kids, the babies at all. At that point, it was all on Ryan. It was really scary. Yeah. I didn't, I don't think I had any like self-harm thoughts or harming the baby thoughts, but I was just like, I was just a ghost. Like I just couldn't do anything.
0: Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. It's a scary feeling to be that like, disoriented
1: and out of control yeah
0: yeah 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 and it also makes a lot of sense to me that that happened after like everything you'd been through and then this was sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back if you want to say it that way you know it was just like one last piece that you lost that was really hard and that you fought for so hard you know and I also want to say like you, I, you said a few minutes ago that you were really ignorant when you left the doctor's office in terms of like, just and just that urgency that comes over you, but there's nothing more effective and persuasive than telling a new mom that her babies are in danger because of something she's trying to do or choosing to do. Mm-hmm. Like if someone tells you that you are putting yourself ahead of your children's health or safety, like, of course, you're going to do whatever they tell you to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think I think that that is something that like really needs to be addressed and is starting to be but like using fear and guilt to just really direct moms um, and not give them the opportunity to even explore other options mm-hmm. is not okay. It's not good care. It's um, not. And I think I think that It's something, especially in the like maternal health world with how there's like a health crisis happening in the maternal health world in our very, very advanced country. Like that's not a secret, but I think that these things are overlooked. Like, you know, you said that was a very pivotal moment and people don't realize the implications of like that urgency leading to that decision, leading to that beginning of that path, like change the whole trajectory of what your next few months would be like emotionally and mentally and emotionally, and even physically in terms of your health, that that's, it's like actually a really big deal. You know, it's not just like one little small shift. It really impacts the whole family a lot. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't on you. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) You know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was a traditional pediatrician and like Western thought, Mm -hmm. you know, I there's anger at myself for not seeking out like different like midwife or different perspectives on breastfeeding. You know, I just,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. But since then you know, I've done so much research and learned that that was not the only way. Totally. Could... And, and
0: moments like that are what, like what cause you to be resilient and what cause you in like, as you go forward in your journey to not just be the quote unquote, like good patient, you know, like we learn to like advocate for, ourselves and our children in situations where we can tell that we're just being like rushed through a process it's like no 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 wait a minute like this could be just as important as that moment that I've gone through before and like that's how we know we don't know until we know right so mm-hmm. if that's one of those pieces that like now that's a strength of yours going forward is like you are like a heavy duty researcher <laughs> and you do prepare well for the next yeah. developmental stage and you're not willing to just like let someone give you a generic bullshit answer. So that's right. good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, all he needed to say was like, just spent one extra amount of energy on me and said something like, you know, this decision will probably affect your breastfeeding journey. Right. Or
0: <laughs> so that you can make an informed yeah. decision. Right. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Yeah. So then, okay. Going back to that, that time where it was things did become really, really heavy and dark and hard you were at a place, I know, where you couldn't, you know, like you're saying, you were overwhelmed with everything. And so it took yeah. Ryan to recognize and and try to take some action on, like, what, what was going to help. So maybe you can talk about that piece now.
1: Yeah, I couldn't even make a phone call. And I knew that I probably needed some kind of help. But, yeah, it took Ryan to make the phone call to our... Mm-hmm family doctor, who is also another incredible doctor in Portland. We had had history with him and he knew us. Mm. So yeah, he took my call right away and it was during the pandemic. So it was just a video call from my house, which is probably better at the time for me. Yeah, And he just completely put me at ease and made me feel like this is normal and this is what we need to do. And he put me on anti-anxiety drugs and an antidepressant. And he told me what to expect. And I still have to hang on for this amount of time. Uh, but it's getting yeah. better. You're going to be fine.
0: That's so huge. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, he. he I didn't. I, I was on antidepressants for a little while, but not as long as expected. But the anti-anxiety is what really pulled me through and like, got me out of the cloud fog that I was in and... I could function again and take a shower yeah. and yeah. start to, like, move through get my back day. back to
0: yourself a little again. bit, yeah. Yeah, it's so crucial. And a couple things about that, you know, I think it's, again, like, because we talk a lot about mental health and how important it is to get help because a lot of these things are treatable, um, a lot of these, like, conditions that moms go through. And I think that, like, really... I, the only way I've made it to appointments like that is because people made the call for me or drove me there or scheduled it or whatever, or, or, Hey, I reached out to this counselor. They're going to call you Claire. Like I, you're just, it's just too intimidating or like scary to try to take that on yourself when you're already in such a hard place. Mm -hmm. For so many reasons, right? It's like that first appointment, you have to usually go through your whole everything hard that's ever happened to you. And it's like, great, I have the energy for that right now. So I think having help with those initial steps and having someone else be able to recognize is so important. And I like to bring that up because I think that like people listening might have friends that they recognize that in or family members. And oftentimes we do have to just like push past normal boundaries and say like, Hey, sorry, but I got to step in on this one. And it's important to do, I think. And then the other is just that I think that the fact that your provider told you like how long it might be that you had to hang in there is really, really, really good care too, because that is like, then you suddenly do have a light at the end of the tunnel, you Mm -hmm. know, or at least you can believe that you do when it's someone trusted who tells you that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then when it starts, when you do start to feel better, you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is happening and I am going to be okay. And that's such a big, huge deal.
1: Yeah. Huge.
0: Yeah. And for you, it happened pretty quickly, right? You started to feel better pretty quickly.
1: Just a few days. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then it was probably a relief to want to hold babies again. And, you know, it's not like life got a whole lot easier No, on the outside,
1: but definitely not. But you're
0: back in your body.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a scary place to be for sure.
0: And then the time went on. And you guys like figured out sleep, and everyone started to like live a little bit more normally. I remember you saying it's never
1: going to end, but yeah, you get in a groove, and
0: basic needs were being met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, you talked about when you have twins, it is pretty necessary to develop like a very structured schedule and routine just so that you don't lose your mind and maybe for other people who are in twin world or multiples that might feel helpful to hear about too. So you want to talk a little bit about what that looked like and looks like today? You know, I think it's probably still crucial for you guys today.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I for sure thought I was going to be a totally off the cuff mom, Mm -hmm. go with the flow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. feed him all this organic, beautiful food that I grow. And then I blend it myself. And
0: yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah, totally.
1: But no, it was, and I feel like I knew that off. That was one thing that I did research was like twins. And when I was pregnant a little bit, so I Mm -hmm. knew, I knew that some things had to be different. So I was pretty rigid about trying to get on a schedule with them pretty mm-hmm. early and I had been talking to some moms online twin moms I was part of some twin mom groups especially with the whole breastfeeding and formula and what formula to pick and I was yeah in conversation with quite a few twin moms online right I was ordering formula from Europe by the way yeah wow <laughs> so that was quite expensive but at the time I thought that's what they needed you know and I needed to do that yep. for myself and for my yeah. sanity and for my babies Yep. got into a pretty strict routine and I have to put a plug in here for Ryan. I feel like I've not, <laughs> like he was, yeah. he was not on board in the beginning for quite a few years, what felt like to me, but then during like IVF and like, he was definitely my support system. Yeah. And then once the babies came, he was incredible. Yeah. And we did have to take shifts, you know, that's what we did pretty strict shifts you know feeding every three hours both of them at the same time even if one was sleeping and one was crying hungry you wake them both up you feed them the same and we just did that over and over and over and pretty soon they were sleeping on the same schedule eating on the same schedule and yeah I think that's I don't know how we could have done it without that and to this day it's still still the same thing we sleep trained at six months you know I thought I was gonna have my babies in bed with me and they were gonna sleep whenever they wanted and But, you know, we sleep trained five or six months and pretty quickly, like after four days of that, you know, it was, you know, walk in at five minutes, calm them down, walk in at 10 minutes, calm them down, and then 15 minutes until they fall asleep. So four days of Mm -hmm. that. And then they were pretty much sleeping through the night. Mm -hmm. And yeah, all through toddlerhood or one years old, two years old, this nap schedule was very strict. Same time every day. They both go down. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's pretty rigid, but that's, Mm -hmm. I don't know how, I mean, we still go insane.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you have to find like, once they start getting older and you do start like seeing friends and all those things, like you do have to start making exceptions to schedules here and there, and then you pay the price. Right. And that's always kind of hard.
1: Yeah. It always ends up in a fight. Like Ryan's always like, why did we push that? Why did we do that? And I was like, because we never go anywhere and do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's do talk a little bit more about Ryan and his role. You know, the twins are three now and you guys survived (laughs) early days and beginning of toddlerhood. And I, like even just thinking about baby proofing, Like you don't have to just keep your eye on one. They could like be doing dangerous shit, like either of them or both of them at any given moment. So just thinking about the intensity of that, and maybe you can talk about, you know, Ryan's role and, and what that's been like, and then just also life, how it looks now.
1: Sure. Yeah. I do have to say like in the early years, that thought just occurred to me. One thing that I do think is hard about twins is in the rigid schedule is I feel like I missed out on like cuddling yeah. my babies. Cause I, you can't really, I couldn't really hold one and enjoy it because the other was running around or crying yeah. or
0: yeah you know you try yeah. to hold
1: both of them, but then they're like kicking each other. And yeah.
0: So, yeah. That if you, makes sense that that would be hard.
1: Yeah. Twin moms kind of, and then rocking mm-hmm. them to sleep. I was really strict about we're not rocking them to sleep. Like they need to be able to go to sleep on their own. And like to this day, I'm thankful I did that. Cause they're great sleepers. Yeah. But, yeah. That you it's compromise. Right. Yeah. So they're not napping anymore. They're three and a half. We're still waiting for those days where other twin moms tell us that it's going to get easier. You know, <laughs> almost there. It's going to get easier, but it's just different. It's yeah. different challenges. Right. But yeah, yeah. So I, so Ryan was actually laid off during the pandemic, and I had seven months off maternity leave, which is incredible. Yes. So we had like just an amazing, that was an amazing opportunity for us raising kids. Yeah, Perfect. Perfect situation. Yeah. So then uh, we moved back to Montana when they were nine months. Mm-hmm. And I started working. I was working full time at that time, four days a week. Um, but then I went down to three days pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And Ryan decided to stay at home with the kids. I mean, we kind of decided that together. And it's just been, I mean, I'm just blown away by him. And I love our situation. I love that the kids are just as attached, if not more attached to him than they are me. It's a very equal relationship. I feel
0: Yeah,
1: I, as I'm a very independent person. So I think uh, two kids like clamoring on me all the time, only needing me and wanting me was not going to be healthy for me. So yeah, I, it's just a good balance for myself, my sanity. Yeah. And yeah, and then just looking at Ryan, I don't think a lot of men in the society could be doing what he's doing and so gracefully. Mm-hmm. I mean he definitely does bother him at times that he's not making money for the family and you know, that whole male mm-hmm. <laughs> structure yep. thing. Yeah. About our society. Yes. But yeah. I I mean I try to tell him and I tell him all the time. I think and I do think that his job is a lot harder than my job. You know, I go to work and it's like a break for me. Right, totally. But yeah, so he's, he's pretty much on full time. I mean, he, he watches the kids as much as I go to work. So three days a week and then we do a couple days of daycare just so that we can have some sanity and go do something together. And yeah. But then we've got parents that give us breaks, much needed breaks at times. Yeah. But it's intense. I tell you, like two, three and a half year olds that are just so healthy and vivid and (laughs) Learning and asking you why 5,000 times an hour. Yep. Yep. Totally. Totally exhausting. Yeah. You're right. Two is like a whole lot more than one. It's way more than two. Because I feel like with one baby, one toddler, I can still have a conversation with you. Right. Kind of keep my eye on my kid. Sort of.
0: Not even really. No. (laughs) You know, like my (laughs) friends who have... No, like my friends who have toddlers, it's still... And I just, I remember being like, please don't try to make me talk to you. Like I can't finish a thought or a sentence. And so I think it's that So that's why I'm like, it must be so extreme or just, just simply impossible to yeah. carry on a conversation. It's impossible. Yeah. yeah.
1: And that's been a real struggle for me is trying to maintain friendships and connections when I, I cannot even like go to the playground and meet other moms because I, I can't even go to the playground without Ryan. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now it's right. now, just now it might be possible at three and a half, but it's still scary. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. What does Ryan do? Like, has he met other dads or like, what does he know?
1: Well, when he's here with the kids, he does not want to leave the house either because it's like,
0: it's just too much.
1: It's too much. And then when you're in a parking lot, not to trust, totally not going to run while you're trying to put the other one in the car seat. Yeah. I mean, it's doable and I do it. I try to do it because I go crazy. I'm in the house all the time. I, I have to go try to do it and I right. thrive, but I've definitely had very scary moments and he just, yeah. it's just too anxious. He's just too anxious for that. And
0: that makes sense. Yeah.
1: And thankfully we've got a giant backyard right now and, mm-hmm. Just try to get yeah. visitors over here to
0: right? hang out with yeah.
1: us. Crazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, you know that everything there is safe, mm-hmm. as, as safe as it can be, mm-hmm. you know. So that makes a lot of sense to me.
1: That's been hard. But yeah, I remember like being in like a pool and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to just try to have like, I can have like a two minute conversation just to like try to get this, like <laughs> try to connect with somebody for a minute. I need it. Right. Yeah. And I'll like start talking to somebody. And then I look over and one of them is like face down in the water, half drowned, like just a total wake up call. You know, you cannot keep your eyes off your kids at all at this moment. Yeah. So it's been a real list of like just patience. This is what it is right now. And it's wonderful in so many ways. Yeah. You will be able to take your kids to the pool someday and you will be able to Mm -hmm. go camping and be by a river. Right. But it's all a lot right now
0: yeah yeah and in a way I imagine that like there is sort of a closeness that has come out of this between you and Ryan because you are each other's like complete support and like no one really understands it like you do yeah like like you know and and I don't know that that's the case as much for just single kiddo pregnant you know pregnancies and single kiddo life because they're tends to be a lot more, um, there's a lot more opportunity for like the scales to be tipped and one person gets to maintain their hobbies and passions and things. And the other person is like stuck at home with babies and like, I don't even remember what I like to do, you know? And, and I think that that's a common dynamic that can form, but like you guys don't even really get the chance to do that. <laughs> like, You, no, I mean, you know, right. like
1: you're totally right.
0: Like if someone were to do that, like everyone would possibly die like it (laughs) like people's lives would be at risk (laughs) you know so so can you talk about that like has that really in some ways I imagine it's really strengthened your relationship and then I'm sure there are specific challenges that come along with parenting twins too um, that can be straining
1: definitely (laughs) we fight a lot for sure
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah so like it just it's hard for us to understand, and I think this is for a lot of couples to understand where the other one's at. Yeah. Like I just go to work, and I have you know maybe work is stressful in its own ways, but I come home like rejuvenated, and I want to go out with the family or go yeah. do something, go hiking, go out to dinner. And he is just totally depleted from Tapped being out, kids yeah. for like one or two or three days. For sure. But then it's hard for me to go anywhere on my own with them. Right. So we right. hit this roadblock a lot. Yeah. So that's been hard. Yeah.
0: yeah that
1: but another sense. thing where it's like, this is, this is how it is right now. It's not going to be like yep. this forever.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: He does want to work and like have a life of his own at some point. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: So we've actually, this is kind of really dorky, but it's really working for us as we got a calendar. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. I don't now.
0: think that's like, dorky at all. Just it's really, really practical.
1: Mm-hmm. So that we know mm-hmm. what's coming up. We know when we have the time to. Rest, yeah. Or when we need yeah. to prepare for this thing that's coming up, or like whether whether it's physically or just mentally, like prepare for, for for sure going somewhere on this day. Yeah. So yeah, what do you need? What do you need to be able to go somewhere on this day? Yes, I love that. So that's that yeah. makes a lot of
0: sense. Yeah. Instead of it just being like springing it on you, and then being like, "Well, I don't know." Like, I don't know if that can happen.
1: Yeah. Or just kind of a free for all where yeah. we don't really know who's taking care of the kid, like on days right. when we're both here, or who's going to get a break, who's not. How do we make our time more wisely used, more efficient, mm-hmm. get what we need? and
0: Yeah. It's like when when structure actually makes things more
1: people. free. You know? yeah. yeah, totally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. That's a good tip, too. For, I think for all couples, but especially <laughs> logistically for you guys. Yeah. 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 Well, good job, Ryan. Yeah. We're all, we're all applauding that work, you know, and, and just the two of you, I don't know. I, I met you when you were away from your kids and you were at a social event and, <laughs> and you both appeared to be happy, <laughs> having fun.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like first one at ages.
0: And then when you told me you had twins, I just remember it like, and you were describing what, like how old they were and all the things. And I just remember saying, wow, that sounds like a lot, you know, like it just, I don't, I don't know what else to say when people tell me that they have three year old twins, like <laughs> it just, that sounds like a lot, Yeah, uh, you know? So
1: yeah. My funniest, the funniest thing I hear is when people ask us what we've been up to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Anything new. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That is, I can see. Well, I always like to ask, you know, kind of towards the end of our time, you know, if it's just, if there's anything we haven't talked about that you feel like would be important to share about any part of your journey.
1: I am just so happy and so thankful for everything I have right now and how life is right now. Yeah, and it w- it was always going to get here. So yeah. Why I worry about it, or why I be so hard on myself? Or
0: yeah,
1: I guess maybe just more enjoy the journey. Yeah, try to find the joyful moments mm-hmm. rather than stress and worry and fret.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, you know, you've said a few times is just having this like tool in your pocket of telling yourself that this is temporary, Mm -hmm. like this intensity and this level of just all consuming everything will let up Mm -hmm. like it won't ever go away as parents, but it will lighten and there will be more spaciousness and ease that comes in and I don't think there's any way to know that until you go through it,
1: Mm -mm. you know, Mm -hmm.
0: like you can kind of trust that people are telling you the truth about that, but it's like each stage that you get through in the beginning, it's like, okay, we got through teething. The teething wasn't forever Mm. or whatever, you know, and then you do start to build this like solid confident ground to stand on where like you get hit with another hard wave of something and you're able to like, really honestly say to yourself like i can enjoy these moments where things are at even though they're hard because i know that the hard will let up and if i'm only worried about that the hard is forever then i'm not able to enjoy the smaller moments Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so knowing that kind of gives you the ability to like drop back into the present even if the present is so so hard Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so hard
0: yeah (laughs) yeah so hard like and and if there are days where you can't recognize anything good it's okay try it, try again the next day or whatever you know yeah yeah because yeah, there will be those days for sure yeah yep well thank you christina i'm so happy you could be here to share
1: thank you so much for having me on and listening to my story claire
0: Mother Love exists to help our guests and listeners honor and embrace their own stories and experiences. If the content in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, please reach out to someone you trust for support. Speaking up about our struggles is half the battle, and there are many providers who can and want to help. Visit our statewide online resource guide at www.hmhb. Lifts, org to help you find resources in your area. Mother Love is hosted by Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies, the Montana Coalition, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the health and well being of families who are expecting or raising little ones. Opinions and views expressed in these interviews do not necessarily represent the views of HMHB as an organization. We sincerely value the lived experiences shared on Mother Love and we understand that not everyone will agree with or relate to all of what is shared. Thank you to our incredible editor and producer, Brooke Boone Miller, for sharing her gifts with us. She is a mom and she gets it and for that we are so grateful.